Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. folks welcome into the obr film breakdown i'm your host jake burns we are talking today about an around the nfl segment that i want to start doing every week especially in these times where brown's content alone is pretty dry i think it's a wise idea to look around the league sort of tie things that are going in uh going on around the league i should say to cleveland and i think a lot of the topics that have dropped over the last few days really the last week or so have tied nicely into Cleveland, whether that's play teams on their schedule, teams uh, you know that are in in division, whatever. We're going to look around that once a week, and we're going to do that with Brown's Daily Mock, who is Stephen Thomas, who is my colleague at the OBR. So I do hope you guys enjoy. And then we have a fun little Browns topic at the end that I think is interesting when we, we continue to talk about how this roster is built, the age of some players, some of those things. So hopefully you guys do enjoy it today. Thanks for checking in. Let's get over to that interview right now. Welcoming into the show now, Mr. Stephen Thomas. How are you, sir? Good to be here, my friend. Let's talk some ball. Well, we're going to talk around the NFL. I think when you come on every week or so, or whenever you do, I'll try to fit in this segment of looking around, uh, looking around the NFL. Just just storylines that are happening throughout the week, previous week, or on this day, particularly when we're looking at today, and just how they kind of tie into the Browns. So. I think a couple big player news wrinkles are out there as we hit mandatory minicamp and guys not showing. Some teams canceled mandatory minicamp altogether because their OTAs were productive enough. I think that that's what the Browns are deciding. Will we rather have you guys here for OTAs or would you rather be here for minicamp? I think some teams, San Francisco, could be forgetting one other team backed out of minicamp altogether. Just, we're good. We did enough. We covered it. And um, Stephon Gilmore didn't show up. A guy we talked about, Steve, is a potential guy the Browns could look at trading for. He's not showing up. He's due $7 million. He's not showing up, trying to get something done with his contract. It's going to be tough for the Patriots to resolve. Do you think Do you think or have any inkling that the Browns might be poking around there? Do you think they feel set with seeing Greg Newsom now at OTAs and, and, and Greedy out there running around too? I think it would the same thing we talked about back when this was, you know, the hot topic around Browns media. I think it all depends on the price. Um, because yeah, they, they did, as we discussed, you know, how many times over the course of the off season leading up to the draft, they needed to address the cornerback room multiple times. And they did, they did all that, but they do still have question marks. I mean, yes, greedy looks good coming back, but until he gets out there and gets hit, we don't know. And we don't know what he is. Uh, we think Newsom is, was a great first round pick. We think he's tr- got tremendous potential, but like all rookies, we don't know what he is until he gets out there. Um, and beyond those two, uh, uh, Troy Hill and Denzel, there's not a lot of option, proven options if something goes wrong. So uh, I honestly, I have, I, I haven't changed uh, where I stand. I, if it's you know, the, some of the things we heard, you know, a third and, and a fifth and, and then two players. I mean, that's ridiculous. No, they would not be interested at that range. But if it gets to the point where the Patriots are just like, just, you know, freaking take them off our hands and it's a day three pick or, you know, maybe it's the end of camp and we were going to let go, I, you know, I don't know, one of the wide receivers or one of the defensive tackles because they have too many in those rooms right now, but they're 
rosterable players and there's a need and a fit over there and he agrees to come play on his current contract so they can get out of it next year you know that kind of stuff who wouldn't want a guy like to add a guy like stefan gilmore to your mix especially when you're seriously chasing uh, a lombardi or at least you at least you think you are so my my view of it hasn't changed i think it does obviously it becomes a little more interesting now that he does has not reported especially if that continues uh, and if he doesn't report to regular camp, then it starts to get, you know, hey, let's keep, at least keep our eye on it, something like that. But do I think they're going to go out and immediately make a big move and sign him to a giant contract? No, I, I don't think that. Well, I think it's pretty obvious they're not going to, he's not going to, to play at the current price tag, which from what I gather is 7.5. They'd advanced him money last year on his contract and and uh to 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 make up a little bit of, of wiggle room for this offseason which we all know the patriots went out like crazy which is the mm-hmm. anti-patriots and spent hundreds of million i think 160 million in free agency something like that so he sees all these other people getting paid he's not getting paid he feels underappreciated he was just the defensive player of the year a few years ago what 2019 mm-hmm. i think so um <laughs> It's it's hard to see him playing. It's hard to see the Patriots forking over a ton of money. It could get to the point where both sides just say, "Hey, we got to figure something out here." I don't know if that's Cleveland based or not, but we like to try to give you a spin on it. I would think the Browns would at least pay attention to the price tag, whatever that price right. tag ends up being. Not saying they'll make that trade, but that is uh, that is one that is uh, of note. Another name that's of note is Daniel Hunter, who is uh, back with Minnesota. He restructured his deal to give him a little bit more money up front this year. There will. Uh, likely be a separation at the end of 2021, so he'll hit the free agency market in some capacity for 2022. Hard to say the Browns wouldn't at least pay attention to that one come 2022. You don't know what Jadevian Clowney's going to do. You don't know what Tack McKinley's going to do. Both guys one-year deals. I, I mean, I certainly have my eye on him down the road. Would you agree? Well, sure. I mean, you know, I, I think people saying, oh, well, you know, Tack and Clowney, are, they're both gone after this year, like counting it already that they're one year and done. I think that's premature. I think if I don't think they're going to be able to give both of them the money they deserve. But if we the Browns go out and have the year we all think they're capable of having and the defensive line is one of the you know, uh, um, sword points of that uh, uh, winning season, then I think at least the possibility that one of them gets the uh, the money they want and likes the situation here, you know, hey, I can win here. I can get great stats because I'm across from Miles Garrett and I can get a big bunch of money. I think the possibility certainly exists for, for one of them to get a big deal, and w- in which case, you know, the Hunter is going to be off the table. But if both of them, you know, move on to greener pastures or don't work out or whatever, I, I think they, like you said, they will definitely at least pay attention. Now he's got to prove that he's healthy. A neck, you know, surgery is is no small thing. Uh, but if he comes back and he's healthy and he's the hunter that he was the for the last few years, why wouldn't you? I mean, imagine pairing him with with Miles Garrett for a three, you know, big three year contract, four year contract, whatever they whatever they would end up giving him. Who wouldn't want that? Sure, I would definitely pay attention. I think I saw. Uh, Rap said something it, it, like the fifth day of next league year is the t- day they have to make the decision. So he wouldn't be a day one of free agency guy, but he would be somebody that you know we would all definitely argue about for all off season for sure. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> he's worth the interest if the Browns do decide Absolutely. that either of those one year guys didn't work out or whatever. It's uh, it's a heck of a football player that that's in, he's entering the tail end of the prime, but. 
still well worth it at the at the rate he's going to to pair up with Miles if you wanted to. We'll see. We all think they might draft a guy, but could have other positions of more interest at that point. A couple more interesting topics to discuss, and a stat thrown out from Nick Fairball today. This is off topic a little bit here, but the Steelers only ran 79 play action pass attempts last year, which I just I laughed at. They had 79 dropbacks, 77 attempts. I couldn't believe that was a real stat. That's like running. I mean, I don't know. That's like running six or seven a game. I, I, I mean, it's it's mind blowing that they they would run that few um, play action passes for for comparison's sake. The Chiefs ran two hundred and thirty six dropbacks. They were top in the league. The second closest team to them was the Saints. So they had seventy nine in Pittsburgh. The Saints at the thirty first ranked team, one hundred and nineteen. The Browns, for context, were. Uh, they weren't as high as I think people thought they were. They were only 17th at 158. But imagine the Browns cutting their play-action pass attempts in half and in, in a little bit less. It's kind of crazy to think about. It's, it's the big reason I'm not that scared of Pittsburgh still. I did these previews, and, and Nick was great for Pittsburgh. It's like, I, I, I think we, I like you and I have discussed, and I think it was literally you and I on air that said, until Pittsburgh is down, I can't ever think of Pittsburgh as being bad until I right. see them not be good. But, man, that, that number is alarming. That number is really alarming. And I don't even know if I'm expecting a response from you, Steve, but I just had to, like, laugh <laughs> at that number. To be in modern NFL football and not be able to even hit the number 80 for attempted play-action passes. I don't know. I, I would love to get – I know their offensive coordinator is fired, Matt Canada is in, but I would love to get an answer. Is that because they truly think Ben can't do any of that? Or – was it just gross negligence, you know? It's crazy. Well, I mean, according to, you know, the discussion that we had on Twitter a few weeks ago, any quarterback that uses play action obviously sucks, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a it's a terrible crutch that Baker Mayfield uh, had to use all that play action. I don't know if everybody listening remembers that brouhaha on Twitter from a few weeks ago, but it was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, Nick is fantastic. He's one of my favorite follows um, and super informative if you want to keep up with the enemy uh and uh yeah that's a, an absolutely ridiculous i mean it's not you know it's not dan fouts it's not a, a an air coriel it's not marino in in the mid 80s you know i where there really was no point in even faking you know <laughs> running play action <laughs> because nobody nobody would have bought it um this is the steelers we're talking about who you know, as great as Roethlisberger has been for decades and decades and decades, their team has been vicious defense and a running game that can just boil bowl you over. You know, um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, they were unbelievably predictable. I think we all knew that. I don't think we knew it was to that extent. What's crazy is that we were talking with Anthony Reinhardt, uh, Reinhardt and, and Jack Duffin about this on Sunday's pod. I talked to him about how they should be throwing more. And the, the the for me it was they're gonna still run the ball in first down. They have two really good running backs. What's fascinating is they're seventeenth in attempts in that cluster of teams around the one fifty mark. Yet their EPA on play action passes sixth in the NFL. Positive play percentage on play action passes, ninth in the NFL. Points earned, seventh. So they don't do it a ton, but they're really good at it. So it's like that's what's funny to me is the teams at the top of this thing with attempts, if you just look at totals, all these teams feel like they have to help out their fantastic quarterbacks, the top teams in this thing, top five. You ready? Chiefs, Bills, Rams, Bears, Wonk, Packers. 
Cardinals. All teams that have these quarterbacks who everyone loves, uh, or in a scheme, the Rams everyone loves. Um, you know, the Bears just were at a crossroads with a quarterback. It was terrible no matter what they did right. for him. Um, but, yeah, it's just the laughable. That is the laughable narrative across the league. So had to touch on uh, the, the Steelers. I would have to think that they really, really, really try to increase that. Do they think Ben's knees can handle that from under center? I doubt it. I don't think they think he can hold up doing that over 17 games. Maybe they do more from pistol or something like that. So uh, a storyline to pay attention to. Another storyline to pay attention to is Sheldon Richardson. I know Lane Atkins has said here, ROBR Insider, that he never really thought this was going to happen, that the ship had sailed. And he was right from so the beginning in the Ask, Ask the Insider section was saying that it just doesn't feel like there's going to be any interest. Because if there was interest, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong here, if there was interest in doing anything to come back, he wouldn't have been allowed to hit the door. I think, I don't know, I can't say for certain if it was Cleveland that wasn't really putting an effort into restructuring, or maybe Sheldon was just like, I'm not coming off that number no matter what. I don't know, but if it was real, genuine, meet-me-in-the-middle interest from both sides, it would have been a restructure when and where the cut happened. Right. It's hard to envision a guy getting cut and then saying, oh, yeah, and I get it. He could have looked at the market. Maybe the market wasn't right, but at that point, it just kind of feels like the ship sails in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, and the other thing, too, is look at all the resources they put into the, the interior of the defensive line. I mean, we haven't talked about it yet. I'm sure you and I will as we get closer to camp, but they're going to be cutting some rosterable players. I mean, they've got way too many options, you know, on the interior of the defensive line right now, and they only need four or maybe five of them to really work out, depending on how many they decide uh, uh, to keep. So uh, the narrative, you know, uh, Andrew Barry saying things like, well, yeah, the, you know, the door is always open or, you know, wh- whatever, however he phrased it, that that's what a GM does. I mean, yeah, if he's still unsigned in the middle of August and, you know, half of the guys they have on the IDL are not working out and they have a couple injuries or, you know, yeah, then, then yeah, maybe it comes back. But it, it like, like you and I always say about certain things, you can't write it off, but it feels unlikely. That's how it always felt. Uh, with Sheldon um, because like you said I mean if if in the NFL if there's interest like genuine interest on both sides 99% of the time they find a way to get it done and they didn't and it was early that they didn't so I it just never felt realistic and that's not to say Sheldon's still not a viable player and can't, isn't going to go someplace be in Minnesota or wherever and contribute and be a good football player but they just obviously didn't feel he was the right guy for this team at this point in their build so yeah why would why would you let a guy walk for this long if there was a real chance not just yeah there's a chance a real actual chance that you wanted him back it doesn't make any sense We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It doesn't. It doesn't. And, and you think about, too... I just have a hard time with the Browns the way they went when Sheldon was moved on from the way they went out and got people. I do think there would have been some reason the Browns would have gone to the table and said, we can't do your figure, but we can do less. Right. And I just I have to think Sheldon walked away from that. I I just can't see. If they wouldn't have spent any more resources, they drafted Tommy Togiai, they had uh, had, had signed, um, help me out, Malik Jackson, Andrew Billings yep. was already there, they have enough, they feel okay. We don't need to sign anybody else there. Then I would have said maybe the Browns just cut him, and there was nothing that he could do to make the Browns restart. But no, I think it's the other way around, where clearly the Browns wanted to try to maybe work a way to keep him. Otherwise, they're going to have to replace him with a bunch of bodies to try out and make see what could happen. So that's just the way I lean. I didn't think a reunion was going to happen either. It seemed far-fetched, but uh, I guess this closes the door. And if he uh, if he goes to Minnesota, which the Browns will see this year, which is of note, they play them in week four, I think. They go to Minnesota. Um, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce comes back. And then you add if you add Sheldon Richardson, that's a pretty good group up front to challenge the Browns' run game. So that is of note. Another thing of note, Benjamin Albright, always kind of connected to the Browns in a way. Not always perfect, but he, he's a Denver guy. Does great radio stuff out there. Super nice dude. Uh, has, has insider roots in Denver. Has had some in Cleveland over the years. Uh, made note today on Cleveland Browns Daily that the Rodgers and Denver Broncos are like a 60-40 thing. He thinks it's a 60% chance he ends up in Denver, which is hugely noteworthy because mm-hmm. anybody who follows the Broncos know that they're a quarterback away. That roster is really good. They need a quarterback. Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater don't strike fear in anybody. And if they can add somebody like Aaron Rodgers to Noah Fant and and um I cannot Jerry Judy they got uh help me out here SMU Cortland Sutton they got mm-hmm. some guys man like they got some guys they've bolstered their O-line a little bit better uh to the point that they're better I think there's something really there it's just it's just adding a, the right quarterback and obviously wherever Aaron Rodgers goes he's the right quarterback for almost everybody <laughs> what's noteworthy is He's no matter what. If between those two, he's going to be on the schedule somewhere. The Browns open their season with the Bears in Week Two at home. I should say they open their home schedule Week Two with the Bears, and then I, 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 we're talking about Denver. I'm an idiot. The 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 Browns host Denver for Monday Night Football, I believe. Right? I think I'm right on that. I don't Week have it in front of me. I, th- I, I think you're right, though. I think they do host them. That's their only Monday Night Football game, and and uh, obviously they have Christmas Day with the Packers. So. You know, Aaron Rodgers in, in Denver. Just what you want is Denver with another great quarterback. Hate those well, guys. and I, I can't remember exactly the package because uh, he was on with Zagura. And Nate, after he said that, of course, you know, Nate, like me, like at the same time, me listening and, and, and Nate uh, on the air both went, whoa, you know, because, you know, that's the first I've heard that it's leaning that heavily uh, that direction. He asked him, what would the, the trade package look like? And I don't remember exactly what he said. It was a huge. It was huge, but it was almost all draft picks. I I I think he only mentioned like you know one starter player and then one other player or something like that. I I I'm, I, I don't remember exactly 
but it was all draft picks. So when you and I talked about this, you know, way back when, when it first came out, we said, well, you know, yeah, Aaron Rodgers going to the uh, Denver Broncos as the existing with the existing roster would be scary, but they're going to have to give up so much and this and that, and the, it won't be the same roster. It sounds like they're trying to work it out with just draft or at least mostly draft picks. So, yeah, if he if you drop Aaron Rodgers and he plays anything like Aaron Rodgers into that roster, and then of course the other big domino that has to fall their way is Von Miller mm-hmm. has to come back and be Von Miller or at least Von Miller esque. Uh, they're another team in the AFC. The AFC's friggin' stacked, and that they would be just another team in the AFC that, I mean, you don't fear anyone, but you definitely have to respect and, and won't be an easy out. So it'll be fascinating to see how that goes. Um, how many times over the years have we heard big-name quarterbacks with these kind of, you know, quote-unquote drama things in the summer, and then it turns out to be nothing? This one? It just feels different. I can't put my finger on it. It it feels like he genuinely wants to go someplace else. And I, I don't know that the Packers are going to be able to do anything about it at this point. You know, so I don't know. I, I hope he doesn't go to Denver. If they move him, I hope it's to the NFC. But uh, it sounds like Denver's the leader uh, at this point. Didn't their owner say this weekend that Aaron Rodgers is an interesting fella or something like that? So yeah, I just I, I just don't know how they mend it that. Sounds thing. It, sounds it sounds broken. It sounds really broken. broken. And you don't I don't think many things in Aaron Rodgers' life go from, from broken to unbroken. It seems like when the bridge is done for him, it's done. And it's <laughs> like uh good luck, Green Bay. Good luck, because you're not gonna right. ever find one quite like that guy again. So uh, jokes on you. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll talk now really quickly. I wanted to touch on one Browns topic singularly focused. I saw a question today about, actually, I think it came from somebody in Denver, ironically enough, about which player on their roster, young player, is are people just not talking about enough? I think we spend a lot of time on Brown side of thing talking talking about the future. I did a, an episode yesterday with Cameron Justice, who's phenomenal. Uh, about the Browns' top five players under 25. She's not great, isn't she? She's Man. so good. She's very sharp, very good, and just the nicest person. So, yeah, listen to that if you didn't yesterday. But I thought this was an interesting question because, again, we talk about these guys a lot, but there was one player in particular for me that I don't think it's talked about enough. So I'll let you go first, Steve, and see who you came up with and then throw you mine. <clears throat> uh, I decided to go with Kaderil Hodge um, because I think – uh, the rest of the young players, I, I think we've talked them to death. I mean, <laughs> that's the that's the part of this equation. You know, it's not just, oh, pick a good young player that you think we should be talking about. This is Browns fans, man. Who do we not talk about? We, t- we talk every player to death. So I was looking at, you know, about Grant Delpit or, you know, Greedy Williams. I mean, yeah, we've talked about them a ton. Even Jordan Elliott and Andrew Billings get talked about a ton. So... I went with Kaderil Hodge. He, I mean, maybe he's not going to be, you know, challenging Odell for the team lead in uh, in receptions or you know flashy plays or anything like that. But before he got hurt last year, I don't think a lot of people realize what a solid deep threat he was developing into. And he has some. He kind beat of out Rashard Higgins. He be literally he beat him out. He has like, the same kind of chemistry with Baker that Higgins does. That I, do, I think so too. 
you know, coneheads from uh, from Miracle on Ice line. You know, we don't know. We just we don't know how it just happens, you know, and he's faster than a lot of people gave him credit for. He's a special teams demon. He's bigger and stronger than a lot of people realize. Uh, I'm guilty of this. I think when he was signed and I was guilty of this, he was just, you know, some body that they were bringing in to fill out special teams and maybe, you know, the sixth wide receiver or something like that before he got hurt. And again, I don't know if he's ever going to be an, you know, an 80 catch guy or something. I mean, maybe, but I, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he fills a role in this team if he's healthy that is critical. Uh, we've talked about it with Anthony Schwartz a lot, and obviously he's not as fast as Schwartz, but Hodge is pretty darn fast. He's a guy that can you know, uh, get deep and get open and open things up underneath for some other guys. So I, I, that's who I went with. I went with Kaderil Hodge. Partly because I really like the the kid and and I like his skill set and his size and and his work ethic and everything else, but also partly because I, there's maybe two other guys and I, I think you're going to pick one of these other guys, but everybody else we we freaking over talk about. Who have we not talked about? Well, the, I'll I'll talk about Hodge, man. It's it's hard, Steve, because you think the Browns. They're not, unless it's a philosophical change, which there could be here. Offensive evolution is a, is a key buzzword this offseason. Keeping six receivers when you only play two a majority of the game is really hard to envision. And it's like, it's just hard for me to think they're going to keep. And if you don't keep six, that leaves you with one of, of uh, um, Donovan Peoples Jones or. Kadero Hodge, you have to get rid of. And it's like, I have a hard time letting Hodge go. Mina Kimes, huge fan of Kadero Hodge because of how effective he was with the Rams in those preseason games she was covering live. And he is he has earned the respect he should have. You're right that he does not get the respect he should. He catches everything. I mean, mm-hmm. some really great catches last year. That slow-mo of I think it was was it Philly? Or it actually it could have been week 17. He caught it was week 17 when the Browns were trying to clinch. He's running a, a bender over the middle of the oh, field. Oh, the one behind and, him. Now yeah, and, and Baker, Baker yeah. has to – I don't know. Baker just probably missed it. The passing window, he was late to let it go, so the window uh, ends up coming through the window, and it's behind him. And he just one hand sticks back and catches the football, everything away from his momentum to bring that football in. And it's just – he's good. He's good. He's very solid. He beat out – again, I'll say I know I, I, I blurted it out when you were saying – he beat out Rashard Higgins. And I think Higgins – I think every everybody could agree last year Higgins was just kind of uh, ignored by this coaching staff. I don't know what happened with the Freddie Kitchens coaching staff and Higgins. There was a disconnect about how the player practiced or something. This year he's given a clean state with clean slate this 2020 season with what we think is a very very open, understanding, willing to accept coaching staff and he he beat him out. So that tells you a lot of what you need to know about how they view him and I think he might be somebody that is being just overlooked all the time because it's like you forget when something good is right in front of you sometimes. What can not even be? It's like the skit from Family Guy. It could be a boat, right? The gift. It's like <laughs> you can have a boat, but you could have this box right here. Well, what's in the right. box? Well, it could be a boat. So I just think right. that I always come back to that. So, like, he's good, man. He's good, and he's he's more than good enough. And I know they just signed a receiver today that that, that is – a guy Stefanski had connections with from Minnesota in 2019. I have not studied a bunch of his his tape. You probably obviously know more than I do is studying the fringe draft guys. And, and it, it, there's going to be huge competition in the wide receiver room, huge. And I, I am, I'm not talking about a receiver. I'll say Harrison Bryant. I think that we all talk about 
tight ends this offseason. It's been can can Austin Hooper bounce back from what was an uh, un Austin Hooper like season with the drops, some of his issues. He doesn't have the field space he normally does because Jarvis kind of operates right in his general territory. Uh, I think that that played into it, but he's got to have a better year. It's a thing that people are talking about in midseason surgery never helps your season in general, but he's got to have a bounce back. He's talked about a lot. Could he be a guy they move on from after next year because his contract's pretty big and he reaches those voidable years. The guy we spend the most time talking about is still amazingly 24 years old, David Njoku, uh, for all the right reasons, because he could still be uh, the future of the tight end room. He could be a, a second contract guy that could still happen for him. He, he could get more opportunities and justifiably so. But then you have this this kid, Harrison Bryant, who I thought faded late in the year. I think he had a couple fumble issues in the in games that really started to give him nervousness. Sometimes you, it's like running backs, man. When you fumble, you can go 500 carries without fumble. And then you fumble once and you fumble like five times out of nowhere. It's like the Zeke Elliott thing we saw last year. It's just a weird mm-hmm. mental thing. And I think he dealt with it. He fumbled once and then he fumbled twice. And, and he fumbled against Oakland. And then he fumbled against somebody else, or I think the Browns actually recovered it, or maybe they didn't. I can't remember totally, but I thought that that played a big mental thing with him. But I thought when he got opportunities, he had four touchdowns, I believe. He made plays off play action. He's never going to be this George Kittle-like tight end, but from a from a position that we know is really hard for young guys to come in and be productive players in both phases, I was really impressed with Harrison Bryant, and I think... We can think too much about who's going to be the lead of the room. Who's going to be the lead of the room? Will they keep David? Oh, yeah, they have this young, good tight end, too, who could just really keep getting better. And I think he will keep getting better. And I think there's an opportunity by the time the next few years end that we're looking back and they're like, well, Harrison Bryan is the future of that position. I think he's a very good football player. I'm with you. I think he's really he's got a chance (coughs) to step in and make their decision on guys like Hooper uh, a little easier. Um, if he comes in and has the year that you uh, think he can have, and I think he's capable of having as well, then next year, if they're making a contract decision on Hooper, obviously having another option in-house ready to go makes it easier to move on if that's the direction that they want to go. Now he goes out and flops, and Njoku makes it clear he wants to leave, and and then Hooper has all leverage, and they got to keep him, uh, regardless, basically, of what kind of year he has. Now, I I think he's going to come back and be Austin Hooper again, but you know, that, that's just the situation that you're in. Talking about these two guys, it led me to a question. I want to ask you this question. And let me preface it by saying this. This coaching staff, um, one of the things that has impressed me and gave given me peace of mind is they go with what's working. They mm-hmm. adjust mm-hmm. to their not only their personnel, but to the matchups that week to who's hot to you know whatever there's there appears to be no ego in the play calling god damn it we're going to run this and we're going to you know we're going to make it work and so i wonder and i genuinely wonder and i want your opinion on this all the two multiple tight end stuff the thing you said about that you only usually use two wide receivers how much of that was just due to circumstance last year with beckham being gone and and uh, you know losing Hodge for a bit and and every Jojo Natson going to all this, the injuries and everything that we had with them coming back with a healthy assuming a healthy Odell Jarvis Rashard Kadero Hodge Anthony Schwartz Donovan Peoples Jones I mean look at the guys that probably aren't even going to make the nos- roster Jojo Natson Derek Willies Jamarcus Bradley Ryan Switzer Alexander Hall these are guys that are going to get snaps somewhere in this league this year probably not here 
With a room like that, will they go back to more three, four, potentially five wide receiver sets because that could potentially be the strength? Or do you think Stefanski's a multiple tight end guy will you know, be the, the lead thing and they won't stray away from that? How much of last year, how much of that grouping and personnel usage last year do you think was that's Stefanski and that's just who he is? Or that's the situation they were in, that's what was working, that's what they had to do to win games? It's a lame answer, but I think a little bit of both. I think he was most comfortable with that from Minnesota when he played Rudolph and Irv Smith all the time. And mm-hmm. he had two really true receivers he truly tr- trusted in Diggs and Thielen, and he didn't really feel the need to change that up. Now you come to Cleveland, and I think their they're, they're, they're third and fourth wide receivers, now even the fifth wide receiver in Cleveland, are far superior to anything you could right. find in Minnesota. So when, when they talk about that offensive evolution, what Stefanski keeps bringing up, and he's brought it up sometimes – uh, un- unrequested. It's just been something he has said. Uh, that's why I think play action passing could go up, first down passing could go up, and more eleven personnel uh, is is a result that, that that can be a byproduct of wanting to do more of those things. And uh, I think you're right. I, I think that I think part of it is that's what he knew. That's what he trusted for Minnesota. I think as the year mm-hmm. wore on, everybody could see that he wanted to do more things from the shotgun. He wanted to do more things to mess with defenses p- personnel manipulation. And he became more comfortable getting out of the, the box of things we, we we thought he would be. And I think the play-action numbers we referenced earlier are pretty indicative of, oh, they were only 17th in play-action passes. I thought they would have been higher. And their, their play-action bootlegs were significantly fewer than I thought they were going to be. And all year long, I talked about the lack of screens. They did not run anywhere near the number of screen plays that he ran in Minnesota. So... And it's not like the Browns can't move. I mean, you know, we we saw them be wildly productive on screenplays. They closed out the wild card game with a beautifully done screenplay. So those are things I think will increase. I think you're you're probably going to see a little bit more balance in personnel, not so tight end heavy, but still effectively using those tight ends and creating mismatches. And maybe even more wide receiver going 11 personnel, but bunching them up, getting them close to the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. running snug mm-hmm. formations, stuff like that. Especially if you can get Anthony Schwartz in snug formations and run him on fly sweeps. That's a thing of beauty, man. So I expect some of that stuff to happen. They have uh, a, a much deeper understanding of their personnel, their quarterback, their wide receiver room, what they do well, and have a good feel for their tight ends now too. So I think it's easy to say the Browns could be a, a regression team offensively, but I see just a number of ways in which they be, can, can become even more effective. And mm-hmm. uh, you give Kevin Stefanski a full offseason and, and almost literally zero change in personnel – Right. It's it's going to be fun. It's got a lot of potential to be really fun. So expect him to stick to some of the things he's always done. Expect the wide zone to still be heavily focused. But there will be stretches in games, and there will be stretches in portions of the season where they're like, when we watch it, and we're like, oh, that looks different than what we're totally accustomed to seeing. So that's an exciting element for sure. Yeah, and I've just you know in my own you know not a nearly as detailed way as you, I've been imagining Anthony Schwartz. Um, in you know those bunch formations, and then they they manipulate the coverage in a way that he somehow ends up with a linebacker on him, and then they they run the other guys deep, and he drags across the field. So Baker's now got an easy you know six eight yard crossing route, very easy throw, but he's two steps open, and then he turns it into a forty yard play. It's you know it's what we've said a few times. You don't have to throw the ball forty yards in the air to get a forty yard passing play, and Anthony Schwartz with speed like that. And some of the creative ways that guys like him can be given the ball in the short areas, especially, uh, I, I'm really excited about that. But I mean, yeah, I just I wonder how much of that we're going to see because 
I mean, for crying out loud, Derek Willies is a, a long shot to make the roster, and I love that guy's skill set. So mm-hmm. uh, I, it, it just seems to me, like I said at the top of this question, with a, with a staff that appears to be egoless and will do, you know, when they say, hey, whatever it takes to win, they actually mean it. And it looks sounds like they got a roster or a uh, locker room full of guys that have bought into that. I just I have a hard time seeing them not going at least more to the three and four wide sets. I just, the personnel just almost dictates it at this point. It'd be, it'd be really fun if they got comfortable. You know, you want your team to find out who they are and be stick to it, be, be, be who they are and sure. never change. But it'd be really cool to see them get comfortable bouncing between 10, 11 and 12 personnel just all the time. And that's why I still think Andy Janovich might be a surprise cut. I just would not be surprised by mm-hmm. that at all, especially the way they use less and less of the fullback in later portions of the season. But if they could bounce between 10, 10, 11, 12, and 13 personnel on any given drive on any given play and make defenses have to match that personnel all the time, mm-hmm. that's hugely advantageous. And it would be crazy to watch teams try to match that personnel. And I think they can do it. One of the unique teams that can really do it with a bunch of different players at wide receiver with varying skill sets and obviously three tight ends who can be very effective and i still think steven carlson's more than fine he had a, you know he had a touchdown and uh that 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 i think it was 2019's miles garrett helmet game he made that catch in the back of the end zone that i loved i'm like i think that guy can play a little bit so mm-hmm. college wide receiver all that stuff so there's a ton of fun elements to this offense which we will will really get a feel for and talk about more as training camp gets close and then watching them live in training camp what that looks like we'll be covering that at the obr so steve it was fun, man. Again, 20 minutes is the plan. 34 minutes deep. Here we are. The usual, we can't shut up. It, it, we are who we thought we were, is the saying for us. So uh, this was fun, buddy. Appreciate you. Uh, anytime, man. And then, you know, like, like I said, I'm sure we're going to talk every single person on this roster to death between now and September. But, man, this is going to be a fun year. I can't wait. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. Thanks again. Alrighty, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. Not much else to talk about other than I'd love it if you could give a subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel, the OBR's YouTube channel, and then also download this one by subscribing to this podcast. Daily download will be there waiting for you. However, get your pod, however you do get your podcast, would appreciate that, and a review would also be uh, would be nice as well. So thanks, guys. I really, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you listening to this podcast. The numbers again continue to be great. And I cannot thank you enough. I hope you have a great day. And until we talk next time, as usual, go Browns.